Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a king, laid down in grief, but I walk with the key to hell. Welcome to Epiphany's Sunday Sermons, a podcast ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. To learn more about our church, visit our website at epiphanyligonier.org. A drunken butler, a disgruntled jester, and a foul-smelling sea monster person are all gathered on a remote island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And the butler and the jester are shipwrecked. They've just awakened after a powerful storm has marooned them on this island, and they are frustrated at their king, and they don't really care much for him, who is also trapped on the island, shipwrecked somewhere else. And the foul-smelling sea monster person is on the island as well, but he is a trapped servant of a powerful sorcerer who lives on the island. And so when the three find each other, they commiserate at their misfortunes. They drink together. They kvetch about their life circumstances together. And as they begin to hatch a plan to overthrow the island's sorcerer, the jester turns to his companions and says, Misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows. Misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows. That's, by the way, not an obscure 50s sci-fi B-movie. That's from Act 2 of Shakespeare's famous play, The Tempest, right? Misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows. Through the years, this idea of strange bedfellows has taken on a new context. Um, you know, in the 1850s, a newspaper writer expressed the thought that poverty makes strange bedfellows. Uh, that being poor puts you with people that you wouldn't normally associate with. And a few years later, another writer would go on to suggest that politics makes strange bedfellows, where people who aren't used to working together on opposite sides of the political aisle will often find that perhaps they have mutual interests. Strange bedfellows. Sometimes, you know, life works itself out and you find yourself forced into a community of people who are nothing like you. You disagree about the politics. You disagree about the good life. Uh, You have completely different tastes in music or television or sports. And yet life, and by life, of course, I mean God, right? Life, God, has a way of bringing together people who are completely different in their values and outlooks. And in our reading today from Acts, we're going to watch as God pairs together two people who have absolutely nothing in common. He's going to create an odd couple, a pair of strange bedfellows. And the result of this pairing is going to completely reshape the world. So today's sermon, friends, is a tale of strange bedfellows. Now let's catch up a little bit before we dive into our reading today. Here's what's happened in the book of Acts so far. 
Um, Jerusalem was at one point a buzz because Jesus had appeared to hundreds of people and the Holy Spirit had arrived and, and people were preaching about Jesus's resurrection. People like Peter and John and Stephen and Philip, they're preaching about Jesus's resurrection and the forgiveness of sins and his, his messiahship. And the church has grown by leaps and bounds as a result. But um, within a few weeks of the Holy Spirit's arrival, you have this mega church springing up in Jerusalem with thousands of people gathering to worship Jesus on Sunday and proclaim his resurrection and his return and the forgiveness of sins. But in response to all this happening in their backyard, the people of, of Jerusalem uh, didn't like it. Um, many of them sought to persecute and expel these Christians. Many Christians fled the city. Many were caught and were executed as a result. But when these Christians left Jerusalem, uh, they took with them their message of Jesus's resurrection and they took the Holy Spirit as well. And all of a sudden, communities of Christians began to pop up all over the place, not just in Jerusalem. Um, Samaritans, for example, they're estranged cousins of the Jewish people. Well, they were hearing the gospel and they were repenting and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And then you have these God-fearing Africans, or at least one God-fearing African. He's hearing the gospel, and he's repenting, and he's being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit. And even mortal enemies of this Christian movement are hearing the gospel, and they're repenting, and they're receiving the Holy Spirit too. But as strange as these circumstances were to the early church, God has one more trick up of his sleeve. Because the next person in the book of Acts to hear the gospel, to repent and receive the Holy Spirit, is the last person anyone in the early church would have expected. So while this church was growing and being persecuted and being chased, and while all these disparate people are coming to know Jesus, a Roman centurion uh, in the town of Caesarea, in the northern part of Israel, a Roman centurion named Cornelius gets a visit from an angel. And we know about uh, Cornelius a bunch of things. We know that on the one hand, he's what we might call a good person, a God-fearer. Uh, he gives alms to the poor. He's devout in prayer. Uh, he and his household fear God. They behave in a upright manner. Um, and so on the one hand, he, he seems like a good person. But on the other hand, um, he's not circumcised. He's not a faithful Jew. Um, he's been serving in a pagan army that believes at its core that uh, its emperor, Caesar, is a, a god, a demigod on earth. And so Cornelius, you see, is a mixed bag, right? We recognize that he's got some godly behavior, um, but his career and his nationality and his culture make us suspect. But when the angel arrives to Cornelius in a dream, um, he the angel comes to Cornelius anyway and doesn't seem to mind at all. The angel says to Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. Now send for the man Peter in Joppa, which is about a day's journey away. Uh, the idea being that Joppa has got some good news for Cornelius to hear, and Cornelius dutifully follows suit. He sends some servants to go fetch Peter uh, in the city of Joppa. Meanwhile, while God has a message for P for Cornelius, God also has a message for Peter too, who has escaped persecution in Jerusalem and he's staying and traveling north and he is currently staying in Joppa. And Peter has been traveling all day. It's 3 p.m. and he's reflecting on what he might have for dinner that night when Peter finds himself to be the recipient of a divine vision. Peter is presented with a vision of clean and unclean animals together. 
And God invites Peter three times saying, don't call anything I've made unclean, take it and eat. God is saying to Peter, listen, Peter, the time is coming where you are not going to want to to associate and eat things that are unclean, but I'm telling you, it's okay. God is prepping Peter for for an encounter with this man, Cornelius. And as the dream finishes up and Peter's like, what was that about? There's a knock on the door and Cornelius' messengers have arrived. And they say, hey, Peter, our man Cornelius had a vision about you. Please come dine with us and be our guest and talk to us about God. So demographically, right, you could not get farther apart than a devout Jewish fisherman from the backwoods of Judea and a centurion from Rome. Jewish men were not allowed to break bread or be in any meaningful relationship with pagans. And centurions were the tangible symbol of an elite, sophisticated, cosmopolitan, pagan Roman military. You know, the completely opposite. Peter would have grown up in a rural area, on a small village, and, and not had much contact with the outside world. And the text says that Cornelius was part of the Italian cohort, meaning he was part of a specific regiment, which was uh, known for globally traveling. Um, that it was from Italy, or at least Cornelius had been to Italy. So he's this global traveler across the Mediterranean world. Uh, so you have rural, isolated Peter and cosmopolitan, well-traveled Cornelius. And, and of course, you know, Peter served the God of his people, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And theoretically, you know, you have Cornelius serving in the military, um, serving under the military might of a man who claimed himself to be a demigod who lived far across the sea. Um, centurions were the embodiment of Roman power. They had 80 soldiers under their command. They were a mix of politician and drill sergeant. And you know those big plumed Roman helmets that we think about when we think about Romans? That was part of their helmet um, arrangement. They had the big kind of fuzzy hair looking plumes on their helmets. Uh, When you think of centurions, you think of armors and weapons and power, all of that together. Peter, by comparison, didn't have much more than just the cloak on his back. By comparison, he was a bumpkin. Uh, he was a man that most Romans thought was sort of a backwoods, crazy religious nut job who needed to be enlightened by the power and might of Rome. And so in my mind's eye, I have this inaccurate mental image, but it kind of gets the point across here. I have this mental image of like the Roman soldier in full armor and like a, an Orthodox Hasidic Jew with the yarmulke, with the yarmulke and a prayer shawl and, and the, the temple hair curls and the large beard standing side by side. And that's, that's not 100% accurate, of course, to what Peter would have been wearing, um, but the culture clash gets the point across. These are two completely different groups of people. And in our reading today, they get together and have dinner. The Jew dines with the centurion. Peter, the Jewish man whose whole life had been devoted to living separately from his pagan neighbors, he has different traditions, different diets, different religions, He steps across the threshold into a pagan household, completely forbidden by Jewish tradition. And it must have been a bizarre moment, right? Because Cornelius is there and he's got all of his friends and family. And so this whole household is there. So you can imagine there's like dozens and dozens of people who've been waiting for him. And Cornelius screws up immediately. He drops to the floor, like you read in our reading today, and starts to worship Peter as if Peter is God. And Peter's like, oh, no, 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 no. Stop. Get up. Get up. Don't don't worship me. I'm just a man. I mean, talk about coming outside your comfort zone if you are Peter. 
And Peter himself is kind of starting off on the wrong foot. He says, you know, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone from another nation, (laughs) i.e., I shouldn't be here right now, but God's got me here and I don't know what to do. Um, Peter's trying to make friends, not really, but once Cornelius explains his vision and Peter remembers his own vision, Peter puts two and two together and he preaches a sermon. And here's the teaching, the sermon that Peter gives to this crowded uh, villa of um, of pagan uh, God-fearers. He says this, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And then Peter goes on to share with everyone in the room the gospel according to Acts, right? He speaks about Jesus's death and resurrection, his return to judge the world, and the offer to, ex- you know, everybody. The offer is extended to everyone about the forgiveness of sins. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit arrives, and all of a sudden, there's this mini Pentecost taking place in the pagan house. Here's how our reading ends. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For he, they were hearing them speak in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. I mean, who would have thunk it, right? Tangible, visible evidence from God to the dozens of people in the centurion's house that the gospel is for everybody. Roman and Jewish, circumcised and uncircumcised, right? Faithful Jew, a former pagan, a Gentile. So for the first time ever, the church has welcomed into its fold Romans. Romans. Roman citizens from Italy. Servants of the great and powerful military whose forces had crucified Jesus some months earlier. Yes, even the people who were responsible for carrying out Jesus' execution, they too could be saved. And so friends, I think if we're preaching the gospel correctly, what we're going to find is that this message of ours brings together a lot of disparate people. In my mind's eye, I have this image of that Roman centurion and the Orthodox Jewish man standing at their pews in a big Baptist church, because that's just what my mind's eye is these days, and they're holding hands with one another and they're singing Amazing Grace, right? And that's just such a weird mental image to have, and yet that's part of the vision of the gospel. It transcends nationality and politics and governments and fashion, and it brings people together who would otherwise have no business being together. We might go so far as to say that when properly understood, more so than poverty or politics or misery, the gospel brings together people who are not alike. Grace, my friends, makes for strange bedfellows. Grace makes for strange bedfellows. And I think that's something that the church uh, is unique for in the year 2021. It's something that makes the church unique. Because if we're doing church properly, the church is one of the few places in 2021 where you can interact and be in a relationship with someone who is different from you, right? In a meaningful relationship. That difference may be socioeconomic. The difference may be ethnic or racial. It might be political. It might have to do with age. Where else do millionaires kneel down next to family on food stamps? 
Where else do 96-year-olds play with newborns on a weekly basis? Where else can a Democrat and a Republican come together in the year 2021? I have no idea. But once you become aware of your own cosmic need for forgiveness, and once you're aware of your own failures to live up to God's law, you realize that all of those things can be put aside, and you have a lot in common with every other human being on the planet. And again, you don't see this many places, I don't think. One of the ways that our technology in 2021 has changed our lives is that we seldomly are forced to interact with people who are profoundly different than us. Um, There's a professor at Southeastern Baptist Seminary named Karen Swallow Pryor. She's a a writer and, and seminary professor. She wrote about this last week, and I found her insight to be helpful. She said this, Because of the internet, a person who loves The Lord of the Rings, who seeks to explore polyamory, who is enrolled in seminary and eats gluten-free, can find communities for each of those interests and, most likely, even a group that shares all those interests. Uh, But this phenomenon of communities around a shared interest is a double-edged sword. She goes on to quote an author who writes this, The internet provides highly specialized alternative communities, allowing people to find friends or partners who aren't merely like-minded, they are almost identically minded. It disincentivizes compromise and conformity, even as it promises the bespoke ideal, people who think and feel and act just like you. And in that regard, I think what we find on the internet is the opposite of what we find in our reading today. The internet makes logical bedfellows, people who go and partner up in life because they are of the same mind. They are identically minded. Uh, But logical bedfellows aren't God's cup of tea. God wants the church to be a group of strange bedfellows. Jews, centurions, Republicans, Democrats, vaccinated, unvaccinated, young and old, male and female, black and white, everything in between, under one roof, completely alien to one another, apart from their shared need of divine forgiveness and grace. If you want to find people who are like-minded or identically minded, the church is not the place to seek those people out. If you're looking to go to a place where everybody is identically minded, the church is probably not the place to seek that out. And so, in our reading today, the centurion and all of his pagan mess and Peter and all of his awkward skepticism towards those outside his own ethnicity, both are welcome in the kingdom of God. But there's more to this story, one last thing to conclude with, than just the idea that God is a big tent and open to people from all walks of life, right? There's more to the story than anyone's welcome as long as they chuck their pride at the door. Because the good news of a big tent is that there's room in it for you, specifically you. You and all your off-putting, alienating habits and behaviors. You and all your faults and foibles. You are in all the things that make you lovable, and you and all the things that make you insufferable. The Christian gospel articulates with clarity that it's not just the Jewish sins that can be forgiven. It's the Roman sins, the Greek sins, the American sins, the Chinese sins, the Palestinian sins. Every sin can be forgiven. You are the strange bedfellow to somebody in this room today. You are the person who doesn't intuitively belong here in some capacity. And yet, by the grace of God and the forgiveness of sins, here we are.
And so the rhetorical question given by Peter today is the same one we consider together as a church. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And by your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection and by your confidence in the forgiveness of sins and by your trust in Jesus' return, we answer Peter's question with a resounding no. No one can withhold the water. The Spirit of God, my friends, is yours, just like it was for Cornelius. And this strange assembly of desperate people are now your strange but heavenly bedfellows. In Jesus' name, amen. On Friday a thief, on Sunday a Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.